to it. Now read the first few verses of John's Gospel first. Because they belong together. Because all three, John is saying, this is who Jesus is. And this is what he did to prove it. We've covered, we've looked at when he met John the Baptist and, and John the Baptist declares it. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the Lamb of God. John got it. Andrew and Nathaniel and Simon and Philip, they got it, we saw. They met Jesus and they said, this is the Messiah. This is the one Moses talked about. Those people who saw Jesus turn the water into wine and understood that it was him who did it, they got it because it says this is the first time Jesus announced his glory. And the problem is people might read the story of Jesus and not get it, and not get that this Jesus is God. Not just a man who wears sandals and does some good things. And it's important for us when we come to the scriptures to know that the one that he's talking about is God. It's important to know that the one that calls us to respond to him in surrender, like we just sang about, it's God. The one who was in the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. And it's not like us saying, well, shall I surrender or not? <laughs> Who's asking me to? God is asking us to. The mighty God. And John the Baptist is a guy who got it. So what happens in this passage basically is John's been baptising people. It says somewhere else that all of Judea, including Jerusalem, came to him and listened to him and many of them confessed their sins and were baptised. He was a popular baptiser. But his disciples came to him and said, you know that guy Jesus? He's now baptising on the other side of the Jordan River. What are we going to do about that? In other words, he says, John, business is dropping off. We've got some competition. Shouldn't he be sending them to us? Shouldn't we be baptising? Because they didn't get it yet. But John got it. John could have responded with, gosh, I was here first. <laughs> I started my ministry six months before Jesus did. I started this whole baptism thing. Now he's gone and looked at God. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll do that as well. Look what's happening to John. He could have been full of remorse and regret and anger and frustration. You know, he deserved to be baptising people. I mean, he'd spend his life wearing some itchy camel coat thing and with a diet of locusts and wild honey or honey and wild locusts. I'm not sure which one it was. He deserved this. I deserve this. I know. I've got the expertise. I've got the experience. I've got the position. But he didn't do that. Instead, he said... I must decrease and he must increase. Don't, don't we guard against decrease? <laughs> Isn't that the way we sort of like have been moulded in this world? That when we see our bank account going down, we worry and, and we think if someone's causing that to go down, we fight against them. If, we, if we're rising up the tree and we're heading for this promotion and somebody else gets it, Aren't we wired to go, what? I'm being demoted and he's being pre-moted? That's not right. And in ministry. As I said, we've had a, a really hard time the last year in um, ICC because we were facing incredible decrease. We started last year with um, 
celebrating our 25th anniversary and we could look back and we could say, look at all that we've done in 25 years. How we've gone from one guy finding one baby on the street, 24-month-old baby dying, 24-hour-old baby who died, how from that God has, has just rescued so many children. And not only rescued them, but led them to a fulfilment in their life. We've done it. And we've worked in partnership with the government all through that time. And look, they must see how good we are and what we've done. And they said, oh, by the way, the rules have changed. You now need this registration. There's different regulations on the registration. We'll get that in a doddle. FNGO, we'll get that because the government agencies love us. They're right before us. They see what we've done. But the doddle suddenly started getting difficult. And more difficult. And it, and it looked like, began to look like we weren't going to get at. And the government was saying to us, we can do a better job than you. We don't need you. You know what this meant? This meant that people like Kyla and others who've been there for 20 years would have, and their life was there would have to pack it up and go home after giving their life to that work. More importantly, it meant that all the children that we have in our care would have no one to care for them. They would have no love, they would have no hope, they would have no opportunity, they would have no therapy, they would have minimum food, they would have nothing. And it was like we'd abandoned them again. We were heartbroken. The government actually said to us, they said, you have a 0.5% chance of getting your registration. We were sort of crushed. But God gave me a promise. On the day of salvation, I will help you. I will protect you and give you to the people as my covenant with them. Soon your descendants will come back and all who are trying to destroy you will go away. Look around you and see, for all your children will come back to you. As surely as I live, says the Lord, they will be like jewels or bridal ornaments for you to display. The generations born in exile will return and say, we need more room, it's crowded here. Then you say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I will give a signal to the godless nations. They will carry your little sons back to you in their arms. They will bring your daughters on their shoulders. For I will fight those who fight you and I will save the children. And the world will know that I, the Lord, am your saviour and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. And I grabbed that in June and I declared it to all the people. I said, don't worry, people. God has said this. I didn't go through the Bible looking for a verse. One day I was in China and I said, God, give me a passage. And a thought came to me. Look up Isaiah 49. So I did, not knowing what it was, and that's what it was. And I took that promise and I held on to it for about five minutes. <laughs> and then it just was starting to look impossible and impossible and impossible. And I, I parked it. And we started saying, it's not going to happen. Our CEO announced to everybody, it's not going to happen. We've got to find other ways. So we started, we started blaming everybody. And we were angry and we were upset. And, we, and it was like the whole thing was falling apart and we'd given up. And we saw this incredible decrease. And somewhere about December, there's this little glimmer of hope. And it looked like it might turn around. It's going to come today, it's going to come today. And it, it didn't. We got to the end of um, December and we'd heard a rumour that someone somewhere had made a decision but they wouldn't tell us what it was. But it looked like... Then we heard this like other rumour that the decision was that we'd got it but we didn't know we'd got it. We were going to get it but it was like backdoor stuff. So we came up with hope again and we go, Wah! we're going to get it. Came home and... A few of us who are the spiritual initiatives team of ICC, we need to get the fullness in place. 
We need to be ready so that as soon as it is declared, we're not like the nine lepers who went home and didn't say thank you. We want to thank God because we're, we're looking for this miracle. We've got offices all, all over the world. And so I organised on one particular, one particular week in March. I'm sorry. One, one particular week in March, we, they would all like have a gathering wherever they were in the world so that we come together with one voice to say thank you, Jesus. And I sent out all these resources, got it all set up. I got sent the worship resources and Bible readings and things to do and dedications to make, all sorts of things. And it was going to start on March the 2nd. And there's still no registration. Last week in February, there's still no registration. This decrease was enormous. And I'm leading the first coming together on Saturday, the March the 2nd, which is in Australia, but I'm, I'll be in China, so I'm leading it by Skype. And it's all set up to this big thank you to start taking off. And we've got nothing to say thank you for. <laughs> and it got to Friday, and the CEO EO and, EO and I were in China together in this place. And we go, well, got to Friday, and there's nothing. We said, we're going to have to reshape this coming together and make it a prayer time, not a thank you time. And on Friday, Saturday morning, half past six, the meeting starts half past seven, half past six, Peter has to leave to go back to Hong Kong. And I said, mm, it's been a good week really, hasn't it? He said, yeah, but I'm, I'm gutted that the registration didn't come through this week while we were here. We really wanted to be there. And, and ready. At 20 past seven, I thought, ah, oh, get ready for this meeting. I'll turn my phone on in case in case the Australia people are ringing to say they can't get Skype to work, which happens a lot. Turn it on at 20 past seven and suddenly there's all these messages come in. Because at 10 o'clock the night before, we've got our registration. We'd officially, no question about it. They, they, they rang us up and they declared, that, yes, you, are, you have an NFGO, a FNGO, you're registered. The decrease, the decrease has stopped. So 10 minutes later, I'm on the phone to Australia and we're leading the thank you like you've never known before. God is never late. <laughs> Seldom early, but never late. And the next morning, it's Sunday morning, and I'm there to lead. We've got our China teams all together in one town for this coming together, and they were pumping. They were excited. Can you imagine going from, I might have to go home, the, wow, how good is God? We're in the apartment I was in. We have people below us and beside us and beside us, blah, blah, blah. Hundreds, thousands of Chinese people around us. But boy, did we make a noise in praise. You couldn't stop us. And then government people who've been saying you've got a 0.5%, they called our leaders in and they had a chat to us and they said, um, we've got 50 more children we want to give you. And we said, but we don't have room. They said, oh, that's okay. We're going to give you a whole floor of a building. And I thought back to that word in Isaiah. And God says, I will bring these, these children back to you. And you will say, but we don't have room. <laughs> And he'd done it. And you know what he said at the end? Because I'm sending a message. And the message that I'm sending is, I am your saviour and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. See, Jesus did that, not so the work will increase, but that the name of Jesus will increase. Right? So that, that this nation would see Jesus work this miracle in his children and see his compassion in his heart. And John says the same thing. He says, I must decrease so that Jesus will increase. Not, I must decrease so then I will increase. Not, I will give money to God so that then that money will increase. But I must decrease so that he might increase. That's what it's all about. And John says, 
in that passage, he says, the thing is, disciples, who are worried about all these people going, you don't get it, but nothing we get comes from us. It comes from God. And if we have this mine attitude, that's my ministry of ICC. That's what I do. That's mine. God, these kids are ours. This work is ours. It's not, it's God's. And so if he does things with us to, so that his son might increase, that's fine. But if it's mine, 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 then we're stuck. So God comes to us and he taps us on the shoulder and says, have that money in your bank? Here's a use for it that will cause my son to increase in somebody else's life, in another country, in your life. And you go, well, hang on, God, I'll think about that. That's mine. I'll work it out whether I want to give it to you or not. But it's his in the first place. Our skills, our gifts, our expertise, our position, everything. He's given that to us. And he does what he likes with us so that Jesus might increase. So no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Do you know what your purpose is? We worry about that, God. What's my purpose for being here? What? And we think he's going to give us a job. But he says our purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus. To prepare the way for Jesus in other people's lives. To prepare the way for Jesus to be able to, to intercept someone on their journey. To prepare the way. We're not here. We're not here to gather stuff. We're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to make way for Jesus. And that means surrender, right? That means coming before him and saying, God, is there something in my life that is in the way of you? Because the thing is, the gift of God is absolutely, completely free. God says to us, there is nothing you can pay to buy it. There is nothing you can do to earn it. But the gift of God, of Jesus to us, is completely and absolutely free. And it costs us everything we have. And that's what being in Christ means. We don't own anything anymore. We've surrendered it all to Jesus. It's gone. As we come under his lordship, we're saying, Jesus, this is yours. I am yours. Everything is yours. And he comes along and he taps us on the shoulder and said, you know that thing that you gave me? Looks like you still think it's yours. <laughs> You're trying to hang on to it. I need you to surrender, to put that down so there's more room for me in your life because it's about being in Christ and it's about Christ being in us and sometimes we don't leave enough room for that he says come surrender next slide thanks and it's it's motivated by that everything in John is motivated by that that I am filled with joy at his success can I ask you are you filled with joy at Jesus' success, when you, when you see him raise up above you and above your reputation and above your goals and above your ambition, but you see Jesus' success, there's one way to measure if, you're, if you have joy at his success is if you, if you are just completely shattered when you see the news because you know how hard how much hurt that is to God. When you see the news and you see the stuff that's happening in the world and you say, that's terrible, how is that for God? <laughs> this is people that he made carrying on like that. 
This is people all over the world ignoring his son, ignoring Jesus. We're seeing the fruit of that on the news. How much does that hurt God? If we're, if we're shattered by that, then the other side of the coin is true too, that we have great joy at his success. And we see Jesus lifted up in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, everywhere. That's his success. And John goes, goody, 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 there's more people going to Jesus to be baptised than me. That's fantastic. Because I'm not the bridegroom, I'm just the best man. And he says, and the best man has the honour of standing near the bridegroom and hearing his vows, hearing his voice. That didn't happen for me. I had a best man who was a bit of, bit of a lad, really, and um, gave me a tough time. This won't happen to you, Tim. Well, it wasn't this brother. It was an older brother. And what happened was he got to my shoes before the ceremony. So when I knelt down like this to say, to say the prayer, on my left, left foot it said H-E and on the other foot it said L-P in big bold letters. <laughs> That's not what best men are meant to do. You know, the best, men, the best men thing, I thought, how can the Bible say he's the best man? Did they have best men back then in, geez, in Joshua's time? And the best men actually came from a German thing, which is like, um, it's because they had to have someone who would go and fight to get the wife out of the neighbourhood or out of the family, and they got the best swordsman to do it. So the best man was the best fighter because he had a fight on his hands. So you better make sure you picked right for your best man. You got it? Got it covered? <laughs> Good work. But Joshua says, Joshua's really happy to be the best man because he, he gets a chance to really honour the groomsman and to see, him, to see him lifted up. It's amazing. And John says, I must decrease so that he might increase. And that's where the cost comes in. That's where the surrender comes in. Surrendering that stuff that you carry around with you. And it might not be good stuff. It might be bad stuff. It might be any sort of stuff. You've you got this ambition. Say you've got an ambition that you are going to have a million dollars in the bank account within the next six months. Right? So everything would go towards that. And if God comes along, taps you on the shoulder and says, excuse me, you're up to $999,999. $999, um, but I want some of that money to go to help Stephen Daisy or Sam and Eva or something. You go, oh, no, hang on. But my dream, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. And God says, surrender it. Surrender that dream. Some people say, well, you surrender it. God's going to bless you back. That's not why you surrender it. You don't surrender it so that you might get increased, but you might. But you surrender it so that Jesus might increase. That's the point. So maybe your, your goal, your ambition is a promotion, is a position, is doing something, achieving something, being famous, whatever. And God says, that's in the way of Jesus increasing. You're prepared to surrender that. Maybe you're carrying with you a, a regret, some remorse. Mm. Surrender. You've been, some of you have been fasting this week with our... Coming together, we called our people to fast. They had a three-day fast. You have a three-week fast. We had a three-day fast leading up to our coming together. It's been great to hear. That's a form of surrender. And what happens when you, when you fast is that, because like last time I fasted, I fasted off something that, because I was fasting off it, I got a headache occasionally. And the headache would remind me to, 
of Jesus because I'd go, oh, why have I got a headache? Oh, that's why. Why am I not drinking that stuff? To, so that I might make room for Jesus in my life. And surrender points us to that, doesn't it? That's sacrifice. It was funny because I was coming together and the person who was helping me lead worship on the Sunday, she sent me a, a WhatsApp message and said, I wanted to talk to you about the worship on Sunday, but I'm fasting from talking. <laughs> So can we do it by note? I wrote back and said, are you going to finish the fast before the worship time? <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, why don't you go on a fast of talking right now, Jeff? Um, well, <laughs> I'm about to, very shortly. So I want to say, that's, that's what it's about. And where else, where else is a more appropriate place to consider sacrifice and surrender and decrease than at the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus not only came to model the fact that he is God, but to model how you live as one who lives out of place of decrease <laughs> so that he might increase. We're going to have a time of communion. I wonder if those who are serving, yeah, thank you very much, can go. And um, what we're going to do today, if once you guys are ready, if you can just come and serve the communion elements um, but I'm going to ask you to hang on to them for a little while just hold them we're going to do this time in a sort of silence well not silence there'll be some talking but just when you get the cup and the piece of bread just hold it because um, then we're going to have just a time of a brief time of reflection and then you're going to be invited to take the bread and the cup so if you can just hold that while that's coming around as we come to the cross today and we remember Jesus and we're told to consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one. And he says, let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seize an equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, the criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest name of all names. The name of Jesus. That's the model. You know, just have a minute or so of silence as you ask God what it is, what it is that he's calling you to surrender today. It may not be a thing. It may be an attitude. It may be a mindset. And then as you take the cup and the bread, there's an opportunity today. There's an opportunity every week for this, but especially today. If you want to announce to him that you get it, <laughs> that you've, You've been a believer for a long time, but this sense of, of Jesus and who he is growing in you, growing in you, growing in you more each day, and you want to announce that, then maybe you might want to, with the bread and the cup, bring it down the front and kneel before him and transact with God. It may not be something you want prayer for. You just want to make an announcement to God today that you come and surrender afresh to him. Or the thing that's rumping around in your spirit right now, you think that God's nudging you on this and you've been uncomfortable the whole service. You want to come and just kneel before him and transact with him as you take the bread and the cup today. 
say, Father, I surrender. On my knees or sitting on the chair or standing here, I surrender. Just over the next couple of minutes, take your time and, um, and then the musicians will start a song.